Thank you, Stephanie. My name is Hannah Savage, like Stephanie said, and I'm a second year student in the MBA in Sustainability program and really excited to introduce Paula, who's with us today. A little bit of brief background on her. She currently works for Hess, like Stephanie mentioned, but before that, she was the Senior Director of Global Philanthropy for Pfizer, where she developed strategy and led the development of the company's flagship programs in global health. Prior to that, Paula was with CARE, the humanitarian organization fighting global poverty. Then in 2007, Paula joined Hess as its first Vice President of Corporate Social Responsibility, or CSR. In this role, Paula has seen the global company transform itself from an integrated oil and gas company to a pure extraction and production company. She has helped shape the company's sustainability programs through this major shift. And she's here with us today to share about what she does and what she's learned through her career as a CSR practitioner. So we're really excited to have you here with us, Paula. Thanks for joining. I was oh, wondering thank if you for wanted to... Yeah, you're welcome. I was wondering if you'd like to add anything related to your background. No, I mean, um, you know, I think I've, I've been very lucky in my career to be able to work both in the NGO space, but also in two uh, very interesting global industries. So um, I hope that the discussion is helpful for the folks on the phone and, and, and for the uh, participants of the BARD program. Absolutely. Yeah, I was wondering if you could share a little bit about what motivated you to become involved with CSR, both at Pfizer as well as HESS. I think, you know, when people ask you to describe your career trajectory, I guess the most strategic answer is, is not I fell into it, but I guess I did. Um, I, you know, I came out of international development, and uh, when uh, I worked for CARE, I was based in New York, and they were moving to Atlanta, and that was not, uh, I was not able to move. And so I thought about, okay, where can I take this? Um, you know, this knowledge and, and, and skill set and, uh, you know, maybe uh, grow it a bit and make a contribution from a different sector. And so I looked at a number of different opportunities. And at the time, Pfizer was looking to um, really transform its philanthropy and CSR function from one that was largely around uh, good deeds and check writing to one that was much more strategic and tied to both societal needs and business value. Um, and so that's really how I made the, the, the jump to Pfizer. And the rest, as they say, is sort of history. Yeah, that's great. So now within your current role at Hess, um, how do you define CSR there, if you had to give it a definition? Yeah, no, I'm glad you asked that because I think if you ask, you know, 100 people what is CSR, you'll get 100 different answers regardless. So, um, you know, I think that the field of CSR in general has evolved in the last, you know, 10 years quite rapidly. Uh, in parallel, I think, with the, with the way stakeholders perceive the role of business in society. And I think, you know, uh, in, the early, in the 80s and early 90s, perhaps uh, philanthropy was sort of in and of itself uh, defined as, as, as the company's kind of social commitment. Um, and it's really changed a lot in the last 10 years. Um, I think stakeholders expect the private sector to be at the table uh, fully partnering and, and coming up with solutions to complex social issues. Um, and uh, philanthropy, I mean, uh, CSR is, I think, uh, less defined as how a company spends its profits, but more about how it makes its profits, about operational excellence. How do you operate in a way that um, enhances your stakeholder relationships, minimizes your social and environmental footprint uh, or impacts, 
um, and delivering both shareholder value but also societal value. Yeah, absolutely. And I know we speak about this in our MBA. I didn't finish answering your question. So it has, um, I think we define CSR as really how we operate. Um, And our group really focuses on three main work streams. Um, uh, One is in stakeholder engagement and helping the organization identify stakeholders and uh, figure out the best way to engage with them for all concerned. Uh, The identification and management of social risk. Uh, obviously social investment, um, in, including we're, we're getting a little bit involved in, in some of the local sourcing and workforce development issues, um, and then building competencies across the enterprise in this space. We're a small team. We can't do it all. And so working with other functions, colleagues at the field level, um, you know, building that capacity so that, um, so, so that others can carry the work forward and integrate it into operations. Great, thank you. And I was also wondering, on a similar note, if you differentiate between CSR and sustainability, because there's often a difference, but I'm wondering if within your organization you do that. I don't think so. I mean, I think, you know, I think it's it's really about how companies operate now. Uh, whether you call it CSR sustainability, I think is really a, an issue of semantics, not necessarily scope or focus. I think in some companies maybe sustainability has more of an environmental uh, connotation, but at the end of the day, it's really about those social and environmental impacts and how they're managed. Okay, great. Yeah, and I'm wondering within your role there, I mean, you've been there since 2007, how have you seen the role of CSR within the company grow and change? If there's any significant sort of milestones or organizational changes that have happened within CSR? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, it, it's changed along with uh, sort of the environment, the external environment. I think when I first got here, uh, for the most part, the centerpiece of CSR was sort of the philanthropy and grant-making function. But over time, um, I think the other pieces uh, became uh, extremely important to our colleagues at the field level. What's interesting about a company like ours is that we, you know, we don't own the oil fields or the gas fields. We actually develop them at the invitation of a stakeholder, whether that's a national oil company or a landowner or what have you. So, um, you know, really the, the stakeholder engagement piece of what we do is critically important to the way we operate. Um, and so, I, I, you know, we've, we've seen a lot of uh, uptake uh, in terms of stakeholder engagement and social risk so that we really understand, full, have a full understanding of the context we're operating in. Um, and then the philanthropy piece, I think, uh, you know, our, our internal customers, you know, want our support, but, it, but they've increasingly uh, been focused on some of the other issues of sort of social risk. Okay, great. Yeah, and I know that um, – you know, you mentioned working, you know, with the organization as a whole. Are there certain areas within HEF that or, or leaders or departments you feel like you collaborate often with often with on certain projects? I think it depends. I mean, but um, what I can say is that, you know, um, I think the company really sees uh, sustainability or CSR or whatever you want to call it as, as part of the way we operate and, and an advantage for a company of our size. I think people understand that. Um, you know, we live in a very competitive business environment, and 
um, you know, this is a really good differentiator in the eyes of stakeholders, so it's a valuable uh, aspect of how we operate. But um, no, we've, we've, it's a very interesting company. It's very, um, people are very collaborative here, uh, and it's not very hierarchical or bureaucratic, and so it's very easy to you know, really engage with people up, down, sideways, um, and find ways to work together. They've been very receptive. That's great. Yeah, I was, I was going to ask also how you benefit benefits to the leaders or maybe, um, you know, corporate exec, the executives there. Is there any ever an opportunity to where you have to convince them of the benefits? But what you just mentioned was that it seems pretty collaborative. Um, has it ever been a challenge? Yeah, no, I mean, we always have, you know, there, there are always, you know, challenges. But I think in most companies, and Hess is no exception, I think now in, in most companies, senior management gets it. I, there's not a lot of convincing that has to be done. And, they're, you know, they're often the people who, frankly, are on the front lines of, you know, the public policy debate. They're, they're engaging with high-level stakeholders, so they get direct feedback, particularly from external stakeholders, about the value of sustainability. By the same token, people at the sort of coal face in a company, whether they're at a oil, you know, wellhead or, or dealing, you know, working with, directly with customers in a consumer uh, uh, setting, you know, they get it. Uh, they see this as helping them do their job better. It, sometimes it's sort of the middle that doesn't quite understand. You know, they're the ones who have a lot on their plate and don't quite uh, understand always the value. What we have found, though, is, is that the more we can integrate CSR elements into what people are already doing, um, people are much more receptive. You know, they don't want to have yet another you know, group of visitors from New York or Houston with yet another sort of isolated workshop for three days when they just went through a risk workshop or an environmental health and safety workshop. And so we, we found that integrating particularly things like stakeholder engagement or social risk with the, the risk workshops they go through anyway that are much more uh, kind of cross-functional. Um, and, uh, you know, doing that so that it's part of something they're already doing and links to their day-to-day, -day, uh, you get much better uptake. People are you know, much more willing to, to collaborate if they see the value in the context of, of work they're doing anyway, as opposed to more shelfware from New York or oh, another workshop. Right, yeah, I think that that's a really great point. Are there any specific methods or ways that you've helped integrate this, a, a program, for example? Yeah, so, for example, with our stakeholder engagement work stream, uh, we worked together with a number of different functional areas, including enterprise risk and value insurance, but also communications, government relations, and others, to, um, to really land on a process and a methodology that would be standard across the company. And then instead of just saying, okay, now this week we're going to go off and do stakeholder workshops with, with various constituents internally, we, we looked at all of the other workshops that they go through, notably risk workshops, which are regular, uh, and have a, a structure to them that people are familiar with. And we figured out how do we integrate into those workshops, use, you know, tack on a few extra hours, use the same sort of structure to get at, 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 at a, you know, at, at, this, at this work stream. And that has worked extremely well, um, I have to say, um, because it's part of what they're already doing. and. Um, and, and you have the advantage of having the right people in the room and being able to have a dialogue that sometimes in a one-off workshop or teleconference you're not going to have that depth of conversation. 
That's great. Thanks. Um, I also wanted to ask you and touched on um, the fact that you've achieved a really high level of transparency in your reporting. On your most recently published GRI report, um, you achieved the third-party verification on the A-plus transparency level, which is really great. Um, and I'm wonder, wondering if you can discuss what motivates this commitment. Um, is there anything specific that drives, you know, you trying to lead the industry in this way? You know, I get that question a lot, and, and I, I wish I could claim credit, but it, it predates me by, by a long time. Um, Hess was, it was, you know, uh, publishing sustainability reports almost be, before it became fashionable. Um, I hate to use that term, but I think it's, I think this was our 17th or 18th uh, annual report. And um, I think part of it is the culture. I think we, we do believe that th this is a, an, an important vehicle for people to kind of understand not only accomplishments, but challenges. Right? It's really important to share challenges. And if you're not, you're not transparent about what those challenges are, um, you're, you're doing, you know, you're, you're kind of shortchanging yourself. I think that, that helps open a lot of dialogue that, um, that just some kind of polished communications vehicle might not, might, might not open for people. So, and part of it is just the culture. I think we believe that being open and honest and, uh, engaging in that dialogue is is good business and 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 helps us um, tremendously. So, thank you for the feedback. We're very very proud of that reporting team and and just the culture that we have here in terms of uh, sharing the the data in a meaningful way. Yeah, I think that's really great. Um, you mentioned it's important to share challenges, and I'm wondering if if you had to pick maybe one or two biggest challenges for the industry as a whole and, you know, if, it, if it's the same for HES specifically in terms of CSR? You know, I think um, I would say the challenges are probably the same across the industry. You've got, um, when you look at, for example, a number of the things that we used to call voluntary commitments, whether that was around transparency or human rights, uh, you know, joining initiatives like the UN Global Compact or the EITI or the Voluntary Principles on Security and Human Rights. That used to be a, a voluntary kind of commitment where companies and civil society and government could engage in dialogue. But now what you see is a move towards what was once voluntary becoming regulated. Uh, look no further, for example, than Dodd-Frank or other legislation um, that's been enacted over the last couple of years in the EU and the UK, uh, Norway, around revenue transparency, right? So, you know, tra revenue and contract transparency was once something that you would do, uh, you know, engage in as a member of EITI, and now, quite frankly, it's becoming an SEC requirement. Um, um, the world is changing, and, and, and that, I think, is an issue that doesn't necessarily only affect our industry, but certainly um, affects others. So I think that's one area. Obviously, security and human rights, um, you know, community engagement, community development. Uh, we have a large physical footprint where we operate over a long period of time, so I think those issues uh, kind of remain the same. Um, so, and, and of course, you know, the, the, the notion of uh, climate, obviously climate change, uh, the issues that have been coming up in the last couple of years and a number of uh, shareholder circles around stranded assets, uh, I think those, those, you know, are pretty universal across the industry. Yeah, that's great. Um, and I wanted to touch on, I'm sure one of the challenges 
that you probably feel at least a, a little bit is um, this one surrounding hydraulic fracking or fracturing rather. Um, and it's a topic of frequent mention, especially in New York right now um, after being banned by Governor Andrew Cuomo. And how do you and Hess respond to critics of fracking? Um, well, first of all, it, it's not a new technology. Um, you know, hydraulic fracturing, over a million wells have been fractured since probably the late 40s, early 50s. It's just, you know, the technology has evolved so that it's much more cost effective. You know, like any industrial process, it has to be done responsibly. It has to be, uh, you know, regulators and stakeholders have to understand the risks and opportunities. And we have to make, um, you know, decisions based on, on data and, and, and regulation. So, you know, it's unfortunate uh, uh, that, that, the ban, that an outlaw ban happened, but, um, you know, we, we believe that it's a technology that if used responsibly uh, can, uh, you know, help certainly is helping this country in terms of energy independence, um, and it, it's an industry that does create jobs. So you know we have to balance all of those things, and that's always the the tug, tug of war in society. It's you know risk, reward, opportunity, and how do you strike the right balance? So New York has you know has opted for one route. Ohio and Pennsylvania have a, a different regime. You know, each I think each each area is going to have to find its own way. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, I was also wondering, you know, on issues like this um, and some of the other ones, the other challenges you had mentioned, is there um, any collaboration within the oil and gas industry on any of these issues, you know, CSR related? Do you collaborate with other organizations on any of these kinds of things? Uh, we do, particularly in the CSR space, but also in the climate change space. There's an international organization called IPICA, which is the industry's global association um, to pull co uh, companies together around environmental and social issues. Um, and we've done a, a lot of collaboration, particularly around uh, human rights and, and trying to find a way forward to implement the uh, UN guiding principles on business and human rights. Um, we, we're part of a six-company um, pilot program through IPICA uh, uh, to uh, begin to figure out how to implement meaningful grievance mechanisms uh, in the context of the guiding principles. So there's a lot of very good collaboration in this space. Um, the, we've also you know, worked on uh, taking the guiding principles and developing uh, a joint or an IPICA um, uh, security and human rights toolkit or guidance. So there's, there's a fair amount of, of shared, sharing of best practices and, and collaboration in the social and environmental space. Great. Yeah, and then I wanted to sort of change gears a little bit and just ask you what you feel most passionate about in your day-to-day -day work. What really excites you the most about what you're doing? You know, it's, um, no two days are alike. I really do feel like we're helping the company um, better understand the environment. It's, you know, the context in which it operates, better engage with that context um, and the stakeholders. Um, and it's a fascinating industry, really. Um, you know, uh, it's, it's a traded commodity, but the geopolitics that kind of drive it are, are just fascinating. So, um, you know, it's really, we, we deal with some really meaty, intriguing issues, and, um, and that's what is exciting to get up and go to work every day. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, is there any one particular project in your entire career that you've worked on that, you know, you feel like has had the most impact um, in terms of, you know, affecting society? Well, you know, we all want to go out and boil the ocean and change the world, but, I, you know, it, um, <laughs> it, I guess it's, it's not politic of me, but when I was at Pfizer, uh, some of the, you know, uh, HIV work, I think, was particularly impactful. And it's really that the, the, the connections you make on an individual basis that drive home that maybe what you're doing is helping maybe not the whole world but one or two people. I was in Uganda when I worked for Pfizer on a, uh, for a meeting uh, with a local NGO and got to meet some of the uh, folks who had um, been part of one of our programs. And a young man came up to me after the session uh, and said, you know, I'm a high school teacher uh, and I – was diagnosed with HIV AIDS, and if not for your program, I would have died because I wouldn't have lived long enough to get on antiretrovirals. And I just, he said, I just want to thank you for saving my life because it means a lot to me personally, obviously, and my wife and my family, but um, teachers are in short supply here in Uganda. And I know that I will continue, you know, to uh, change the lives of a number of students and get them ready for university um, for many years to come because of of your company's engagement, and that really brought it home to me. It's, it's not about how many pills did you ship or how many dollars did you donate, but what have you actually accomplished on a human level um, that has changed people's lives or a person's life. If we could each do that as human beings just in our day-to-day -day life, this would be such a nicer world. Sorry, I'm getting yeah, a no. box there a little bit, but it was really <laughs> powerful for me to have that conversation with not a statistic and a progress report, but an actual individual um, and understand the impact for him and his world and the ripple effect. Yeah, no, absolutely. That that makes a lot of sense that that would, you know, be the most, most impactful moment. Um, I'm wondering also, and just relating to everything you've experienced, um, for someone trying to pursue a career similar to maybe the one you had at Pfizer or what you're doing at Hess now, are there any skills you think are most necessary for pursuing this type of career? You can answer yeah, them like separately. To, yeah, I'd like to talk about two things. One, the skills that I think are most useful, and two, um, what kinds of positions people should be looking for. So let's start with skills. Yeah. Obviously, some kind of technical knowledge of, of the NGO sector, the government sector, having had experience in a corporation, uh, in the private sector, those are important things to have, I think. Um, interpersonal skills, excellent judgment, um, empathy, uh, being able to understand uh, people's perspectives and respect, and, and, and respect them while getting uh, your, your work done. Um, negotiation, influence, terribly important skills. And those are all soft skills that I don't know that you learn in any graduate program. Uh, but those are more critical than some of the technical skills. Um, the, other, the other thing I'd like to talk about is the fact that there aren't very many jobs like this. Um, you know, probably a couple thousand in the U.S. at most. But I would argue that there are lots of different uh, positions in the private sector where you can have a sustainability impact, whether you're working in, I don't know, regulatory or government affairs, whether you're working in a marketing group. Um, you know, I would encourage people to find opportunities in operations where they can bring through a thread of sustainability, which, which has a much larger sort of transformative impact, I think, in the long run than, uh, you know, working in a sustainability group that might not be as integrated into operations um, uh, 
and you know, kind of working around the margins of the corporation. Yeah, definitely. I think that's really helpful. And, you know, the soft skills are those things that maybe you can't learn in a classroom, but um, I think are definitely developed over time. So that's a great point. Yeah. And and I think be open-minded. If you're looking for a job in the space, be open-minded. It doesn't have to say sustainability manager or CSR manager. Look at the job description because there are elements of this work in lots of interesting positions in the private sector. Definitely. Stephanie, did you want to chime in with any questions at all in addition? Sure, I'll chime in. Um, thanks, Hannah. And, and Paula, I just love listening to, to your stories and your experiences. Um, you know, related to what you were saying about Uganda, I mean, that really hit home to me that it's those stories and those anecdotes which are really the things that matter the most in work. Um, how does how does HESS go about telling these stories? I mean, I've looked a bit at your website. I haven't spent a ton of time digging in, but I think you guys have done some storytelling. Could you talk about how storytelling is important for CSR at HESS and also the entire company? Yeah, I think this is, this particular HESS is is, is a not the culture is to be a little bit more. I mean, it's to be modest. So. So, you know, doing this and sort of, you know, uh, doing programs and then sending out press releases or attaching our names to things is kind of not our style. We'd, we'd like to talk through the impact and let the impact speak for itself. That said, I, you know, I think we use vehicles like our sustainability report, uh, like opportunities you're here today, to really uh, try to communicate what it is we're trying to do, what our culture is, and why we think it's important. Um, uh, you know, with, with stakeholders like, like the group here on the phone today. But we don't do, you know, heavy media promotion of what we're doing or, or that kind of thing. Okay. No, that makes absolute sense. Thanks. Um, but I'm sure you see it on the ground and that you get those stories, which is great. And, um, you know, I know that Hannah and I discussed this a bit before the call that, um, you know, this whole idea of SASB, you know, and changing kind of a um, sustainability accounting standards. And I think you and I actually spoke about it a bit when I met with you in your office um, in the fall. And we're just curious um, how SASB works. Is that integrated in HESS's reporting yet? Do you think it's the future? I'm just thinking through our students who are trying to understand the difference between GRI, IIRC, SASB. What do you really think is the most important thing for them to know um, for reporting? That regardless of the alphabet soup you use, if it's GRI or FASB, the, the reality is this stuff is, is you know, pe there are plenty of people now, uh, stakeholders in the investment community, in the regulatory and, and government uh, spheres, who believe that, you know, ESG metrics are material. And so as such, you know, uh, need to be reported on in a robust way. And I think the trend, as I said earlier, is moving from sort of voluntary things to, to, you know, on the margins, over time, some of this is just going to be regulated, I think. Um, and I love it, and I think it certainly depends on, you know, the political winds that are blowing in various capitals. But, but I, you know, you look at, look at Dodd-Frank. That was meant to be, what, the Wall Street Consumer Protection and Reform Act? And you've got two provisions in there um, on, that, that, that have nothing to do with financial markets. Um, and, and one is around conflict minerals, and the other is around revenue transparency. Um, so what was, again, sort of, you know, a supply chain issue that might be a nice thing to make sure you're, you know, uh, staying on the right side of or, um, uh, you know, a, a business transaction uh, is now 
I mean, you have to file with the SEC now. So I think over time you'll see more of that. I'm not sure how much in the U.S., but, but certainly uh, outside the U.S. So, um, and I think, you know, this is probably her heretical of me to say, but at some point I think between all of the different reporting regimes, at some point it would be nice to have standards that you can – that you, you know, that you can compare company performance across. And we don't really have that right now. Some people do GRI, some people do integrated reporting. It's very hard for stakeholders to, to kind of have a sense of, uh, you know, of sort of a continuum of best practice across companies, across industries, when you have so many different standards floating about. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I know there, there are a couple websites out there that I see that try to do that. If you look up a company, you can see their sustainability rating or something, but it's not standardized, as you said. And um, I would love that data. <laughs> it would be interesting to compare across the board. Um, and so if anyone's on the line that's interested in asking Paula a question, please um, hit five star on your phone, and I'll unmute you. Um, in the meantime, I'll ask another question. But if anyone's interested, just hit five star, and I'll get word that you are interested in asking her. Um, I had a question for you, Paula, about, um, you know, just the sustainability and the evolving definition. Um, I've noticed that resiliency is kind of the hot word now. And I imagine the oil and gas industry and HES as well, you have to think about that all the time. Is that a word that you all use? And if so, how is that part of your strategy? Or does it differentiate at all? Or is resiliency already built into everything you do in CSR? Um, you know, I think to your point, it's it's kind of the new. It's sort of like impact investing on the social investment side. It's kind of the, the new buzz. Um, you know, I think resiliency has to be built into your business plan. Quite frankly, I mean, practically speaking, um, and so um, you know, this is definitely something uh, operations look at on a daily basis. But um, in and of itself, it's not an issue we're look, we're looking at in isolation. Okay, that makes sense. And I had a conversation um, earlier th this semester with uh, Dale Fans, who's at AECOM, and he talked about a business continuity plans for especially cities doing that, and that's how you build in resiliency. I mean, do you all kind of look at those plans internally at HESS, kind of like the overall business plan of how you all are changing, or is that something that you just kind of take a different approach and you don't need to look at it through a business plan lens, you look at it just through an integrated working lens? I'm not exactly sure. I'm just trying to think through how a corporation might adopt something like that. I think that's definitely handled much more through the business operations, business continuity lens. Okay, great. Um, and the other thing I was wondering, I mean, obviously you mentioned um, being, you know, Hess and the oil and gas industry having this really interesting geopolitical place in the world. And, um, you know, obviously oil prices have dropped quite a bit recently. <laughs> And um, I'm not sure if that's affected how you are operating now, or you kind of are seeing this is just the ebb and the flow of the economy and this is what's happening, or are you all actually, you know, really acting on that and that's changing perhaps even some CSR strategies? Uh, you know, you, you raise a good point. We've, we've been here before uh, in 2008 when it went down to, what, 32? Um, it, this, this, is a, this definitely is an industry that is not for the faint of heart. It is a commodity. To your point, it's cyclical. Um, unclear why they've fallen so low. There is, there is obviously excess supply, but, you know, in 2008 with a worldwide economic meltdown, it was a little bit clearer. Um, for right now, uh, you know, we are not planning uh, any significant changes in, to our CSR strategy or programs. Um, uh, you know, I, 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 can't, I, I would, you know, we're not going to increase our funding of, of uh, philanthropy programs by $10 million this year, but that wasn't in the plan anyway. 
Um, you know, so you know, I think you have to wait and see what happens. You know, if I had a crystal ball and could tell you when oil would go back up, I'd, I'd you know, probably be able to retire. <laughs> but it will, and we know it does. So for right now, this year, we're really focusing on implementation, deepening our engagement with our uh, assets on, on the elements of CSR, the stakeholder engagement, the social risk, et cetera, making sure they have all the tools in place they need to be effective in those two areas. And then uh, we'll be taking a look at our philanthropy strategy uh, this year as well uh, to make sure effective is effective and efficient and connected to, you know, our business and the, and the societal needs where we operate. So, uh, so you know, exciting projects nonetheless, uh, even in a difficult environment. There's plenty of work to do. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I'm sure it will go back up. Um, but thank you for the insight of how you all are approaching it. Um, and for anyone on the line, this is the last call. If you're interested in asking Paula a question, please press 5 star on your line. Um, and Hannah, feel free to chime in with any additional questions. Um, I have another one, one last one for you, Paula, if you don't mind. Um, sure. Just about, I mean, you mentioned, which I think is great, about the skills that, um, you know, MBAs and people should be bringing to the job, the job, you know, force when they are thinking about, okay, I want to work in sustainability or CSR at a company. I don't exactly need to look for that title, what's going on actually in the position, um, and actually, you know, bringing empathy and the soft skills and the interpersonal skills. I agree that's all very, very important. Um, I know that, you know, as someone who did a sustainability MBA and helps to manage a program now for it, um, you know, I find that sometimes it's hard to keep my optimism up with the state of our world sometimes. I think there's so much progress, but there's also, you know, some things that are just, just the reality of the world right now with climate change and other things. Um, I'm just wondering, what is your advice for keeping your hopes up and being optimistic through all this, all this and to know that the work really matters? Um, what is your advice for, for folks out there? Oh, wow. Oh, well, I guess I'm just naturally a glass-half-full kind of person. So, you know, we, we are not going to yeah, – you know, I think keeping our, our, our sight on what is doable within a reasonable time frame and then focusing on achieving that is probably the best thing any of us can do right now. Are we going to, uh, you know, reverse climate change in five years? No. But what are the little pieces we can bite off to get us going the right direction? Um, you know, and – I would argue that every little contribution everyone makes um, does have an impact. There is a cumulative impact. So, but that's just me. Maybe I'm a little bit of a Pollyanna. But, <laughs> but no, I, no, I think I'm you're not absolutely. by nature an optimist. I mean, wait, look, look no further than I mean, forgot. You know, look at what's going on in Paris today, or um, just horrible things going on in our world. But, but there are some good things too, and I think we need to focus on what they are, how they fit into the whole, and what we can all do to support them flourishing. Absolutely. There are wonderful stories out there. Yeah, I'm just curious, and yeah, exactly, when you're working every day in it, if it's, if it's hard or easy to stay optimistic, and I'm glad to hear you're an optimist, and I, I strive to be one myself, so that's, that's great to hear. Um, it looks like we do have a question on the line. Um, I'm going to unmute you. This is for um, phone number 212-224-4369. One second, I'm about to unmute you. Okay. Hi, uh, this is, I'm assuming, number 23974235. I'm not sure what you said. But <laughs> you, we can hear you. <laughs> okay, good. I'd like to ask, it's been very interesting. I appreciate um, uh, the speaker's time. What do you do, what does HES do about intra-industry conflict? 
I mean, for example, if one of your um, uh, clients, you, uh, one of the ones you do the um, uh, the drilling for, wants you to drill in the uh, uh, in the rainforest in Ecuador, or if you you know behind closed doors in industry meetings, you know there are obviously going to be uh, uh, conflicts. I mean, this is not a an industry that has a history of of um, environmental uh, uh, what can I say uh, uh, concerns really, or at least it's uh, but, but things have changed. I, I don't want to uh, blame it uh, too hard. But how does HESP uh, play in that um, uh, in its role in, in those kinds of situations? You know, where the public can't see it. You mean in terms of engaging through industry mechanisms like API or others, where these things are sort of discussed? Yeah, and and even even where the, where the executives get together, or where you have the conflict like the um, Ecuadorian rainforest uh, possibility. Maybe not that exactly, but but um, uh, I know a little bit about about this industry. It can be very very conservative, and and. Um, uh, you all are, you know, taking a different approach. So when you get together, so we're, with all we're the small. Things, you know, we're not a, we're not Shell, we're not Exxon. We're actually quite small for an oil company. And so, you know, our ability to influence the industry, um, you know, I'm not sure how, you know, how, you know, we, we you have to have a lot of people focusing on those kinds of efforts uh, in order to do that. You know, I. I I can't really comment on that because I'm not part of conversations with, you know, with the industry on some of these issues. But, you know, we're, I think, you know, we're kind of a small company. We focus on what we're doing, and if um, we can influence, we can. But, but we, I don't think we engage that much in, in those kinds of issues. We, we need to, right. we have a small staff, and we need to remain focused on making sure that where we're operating, we're doing what we need to be doing. I don't yeah. know if that's not very helpful, but. Um, well, I think I, there's I, I a perception that the industry executives get together in a smoky back room and kind of duke things out, and that just really isn't how the industry works. Um, I think they connect through groups like API, just like pharmaceutical companies connect through pharma on policy issues, particularly in the U.S., that um, they, you know, are, are kind of a cross-industry, cross-cutting. But um, in terms of, you know, these guys meeting in some smoky dark room to duke it out, I, that, that just doesn't happen. Right, right. Okay, no, that, that's that's a very uh, useful answer. So I mean, that's what uh, trade associations are for, and they're pretty sophisticated. Um, uh -huh. that, right. You know, I mean, that's that's kind of how those those things are. That's that's the form of engagement is through an association, not some you know dinner, private dinner, and some club. I don't think that's right. the case in any industry. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I meant more in social uh, settings, a more friendly thing. But but your your comments about industry associations are interesting and and uh, useful. I mean, every industry has them. I don't know what the one for the financial services is, but I know for <laughs> Pfizer, from when I was at Pfizer, the industry association on policy issues, industry kind of cross-cutting issues was pharma or the IFPMA internationally. With uh, with with uh, the oil industry, you've got API, you've got other state associations, national associations, you've got IPICA, which I mentioned earlier on the social and environmental front, OGP, and those are the the fora where industry, um, you know, would have these kinds of conversations, either okay. among themselves or with stakeholders. Yeah, yeah, no, that that, that that's useful to, to know that issues really are are discussed and hammered out there. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much for your question. 
Yes, thank you for the question on the line. Um, Hannah, did you have any follow-up questions for Paula? Um, I think like I don't think we have any further questions on the line, and um, so I'll let Hannah kind of take over if she has any wrap-up questions. I did end up um, just kind of thinking about one other thing related to climate change, because obviously that's an issue that you consider. Um, and has, I mean, it does say that it's a an oil, gas, and energy company. Um, so in terms of climate change and energy, um, is there ever going to be, do you think, an opportunity for you to expand outside of oil and gas and into other options for securing our nation's energy needs? That's an excellent question, um, and you know, a number of the larger companies do have a large R&D group and lots of activity in the alternative space. Um, uh, we used to, um, well, I'm not sure if we still own them, but we, we have had some uh, activity in hydrogen fuel cells, but I think the thinking is that this, this is not a big enough company to undertake that kind of R&D effort in terms of a broader engagement in whether it's solar or biomass or what have you. And so I think we're trying to focus on where our core competency is, and that is really in, in um, exploration and production of oil and natural gas. Um, and, but we do recognize that, you know, we need a strategy uh, that looks at, you know, you're going to need fossil fuels uh, for, for the foreseeable future. There's a role for them and, and, you know, you've got grid issues, you've got internal combustion engine issues. Fossil fuels will be here for a while, but we do have to think broadly and, and uh, you know, kind of have an all-of-the-above strategy, right? Uh, what kinds of investments need to be made to make alternatives uh, feasible? You know, what do we need to do with the grid? What kinds of alternative fuels and energy sources, um, you know, are, 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 are going to help, you know, meet the energy needs as they grow uh, in, in the next 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years? So, you know, I think that's, that's kind of um, where we are. Yeah, that's helpful. Um, thank you. Yeah, I recognize you're smaller than some of the other ones exploring those other options. So I was just wondering if, you know, it's something you'll be considering. But, yeah, that's really helpful. It doesn't make sense. Given the size of our business um, and the technical capability we currently have, it probably doesn't make sense for us to undertake that kind of thing now, certainly. Right. Okay, great. I actually didn't have any other follow-up questions. Um, so. Stephanie, I don't know if you, anything else came to you in the last couple of minutes. No, I mean, I, I've just really enjoyed this conversation uh, with all of you. And thank you so much, Paula, for providing these insights and your, being inspiring for, I know, some students who are going to be graduating and us who are still in our careers here. And, um, yeah, and just for sharing uh, your learnings from your career. Um, is there any last words you think that we should be left with about HESS or about your career in CSR or any advice um, would love to hear anything else you might want to say before we wrap up. Oh, thank you. First of all, thank you so much, and thank you to the folks on the phone. I know this is a difficult format to engage with a speaker, so I appreciate your engagement and your attention. No, I mean, I think, you know, CSR, like, like society is evolving, and I think companies are increasingly, whether you call it CSR or the way of doing business, companies are increasingly um, uh, finding ways to partner uh, in their efforts to create social and business value and bring uh, creative solutions to the table. And I, you know, I, I think there's a lot of exciting opportunity down the line as, as 
you know, we, we find more and more cross-sectoral solutions uh, or approaches to things like climate change. We're not going to solve this problem as the private sector or the NGO sector or government, whether it's a social problem, whether it's access to health care. really takes uh, the combined intellectual and other resources of a whole host of actors. And I think that's the way the world's going, and I think it's an exciting time to begin to enter this field. Excellent. Yes, I agree. We'll I all need to collaborate. <laughs> no, no. It was perfect. Um, well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Uh, we really appreciate the entire program. And thank you, Hannah, for um, coming with all the great questions and for the question on the line as well. So um, we will be here again end of the month uh, with another guest, and we will be sending out details shortly about that. But, um, yeah, let us uh, be in touch with the BART MBA program if you have any questions. And thank you, Paula, again for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Have a good week. Yeah, this is Hannah. Thank you, Paula. Really appreciate it. Pleasure. Bye, all. Have a good weekend. You too. Bye-bye, everyone. Thank you.